All right, if you've listened this far, you know the deal. The book that came out of this podcast is called How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone by me, available wherever fine books are sold. Also, the podcast I do these days is called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Search any podcast app for Ride Home, and you should find The Tech Meme Ride Home, which is all the day's tech news every weekday in just 15 minutes. If you like this show, you'll love that one. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. This is Chapter 4, Supplemental Episode 8. Ryan McIntyre, along with five of his fellow Stanford classmates, was one of the Excite Six who founded the Excite search engine in the early 1990s. In this episode, Ryan recounts for us what it was like to found a college startup long before that was a thing that people did. And he explains how the technology for Excite was developed along with the help and guidance of VCs and other early investors. We delve into the Coke versus Pepsi competition that Excite had with Yahoo at the time. We get into the madness of the dot-com era, and we analyze the dominance of Google in the search space today. One quick programming note here. With the holidays coming up, I'll be taking the next two weeks off. You might have noticed the poor sound quality for the Danny Sullivan episode that I recorded when I was out of town for Thanksgiving, and it would probably be better if I didn't repeat that. So I'll be back with a new episode on January 5th, and yes, at long last, it'll be a brand new, fully researched chapter episode. I actually have a couple in the pipeline. One will be a history of the internet pornography industry. And also the long gestating chapter that I've been working on about the birth of Amazon.com. So let me take this time to thank all of you for your amazing support of this project. The podcast is not even a year old yet, and yet we have cracked the top 10 of iTunes, seen our download numbers go deep into the six figures, have been featured everywhere from Time to The Verge to Recode and NPR. It's, it's been amazing. It's amazing to me that tens of thousands of you regularly listen to and contribute to this show. So I wanted to take the time to thank you for listening and to encourage you to tell your friends about this podcast in the new year. In 2015, we'll be finally covering the dot-com era in earnest. We'll investigate the history of venture capital. We'll be doing some deep dives into the hows and whys of the bubble economy of the late 90s. So we'll basically be doing economic history, social history, and of course, more business and technology history. So thank you all for listening. Have a healthy and prosperous new year. And right now, please enjoy this exceptional interview with Excite co-founder Ryan McIntyre. Ryan McIntyre, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Uh, My pleasure. So Ryan... um, I want to get to to Stanford, uh, but I I wasn't able to find much on your background at all. Where did where did you grow up? So uh, I don't have a short answer for that because uh, I was a a military kid. My dad was uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and I was born in uh, in Germany, um, but have no real memory of that because it was a uh, uh, two year my first two years, and then uh, we spent a good deal of time in the uh, Washington D.C. Uh, area in the Virginia suburbs. While my dad was at the Pentagon, that was sort of through my elementary school years. 
And then I spent my high school years in Colorado Springs when my dad was stationed at NORAD. Um, and then I graduated high school in 89, and that's, uh, that's when I got, uh, got out to the West Coast. And for, you, for um, you, you, you got your degree in, in symbolic systems. So were you a, you were a math guy or a, a computer guy? What was the story? So uh, mainly a computer guy. So uh, symbolic systems is peculiar to Stanford, um, you know, called you know, cognitive science or maybe an artificial intelligence at other uh, other universities. And it had a, a sort of variety. It was a multidisciplinary uh, major. Um, it had a kind of variety of subdisciplines. So you took classes in the computer science department, in the math and philosophy department, in the psychology department. But within symbolic systems, you could focus on different concentrations, anything ranging from linguistics to philosophy to artificial intelligence. And uh, AI was uh, w- was my focus uh, within within symbolic systems. Um, but it was you know a, a relatively technical uh, technical major, um, and uh, you know I sort of filled out my uh, my schedule with uh, as many other computer science classes uh, as I could. Yeah, it's funny. There's a, a lot of people that I talk to. Um it seems like there was almost like a, a bubble in terms of um, uh, artificial intelligence in the late 80s, early 90s. That's what a lot of people ended up studying. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know interesting. AI has been one of those things that's uh, you know been sort of five or ten years away from uh, revolutionizing the world for the last uh, 30, 40 years. Uh, but it, uh, you know, obviously recently, you know, there's been some pretty fascinating advances made. Uh, you know, at Google and other places with uh, you know the sort of deep learning models, uh, which is exciting to see, right? Where it's uh, you know finally making progress after you know having felt pretty stagnant for a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to pick up our story here, um, you meet some people. Is it in is it in the freshman dorm? Is that where you you meet some of the 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 excite six? Yeah, so there was uh, you know six founders, um, and we were all in the same freshman dorm together. Uh, it was uh, Joe Krauss, Ben Lutch, myself, Martin Reinfried, Graham Spencer, and uh, Mark Van Haren. Mark was actually our TA, so he was uh, he was a junior at the time, um, but the rest of us were were freshmen. Uh, were were you all roommates or j- just on the same floor? Just uh, um, let's see, we were all on the same. floor floor save for I think Mark was on the on the top floor um, we we weren't roommates any of us freshman year I was Martin's roommate um, the the final three years at Stanford and Joe and um, Joe and Graham were roommates for a couple of years um, and so you know we all sort of uh, uh, you know became very close friends first and that was our you know how we kind of wound up uh, wound up together and you know three of us were symbolic systems grads uh, or, or majors rather other, um, you know, Ben was double E and Graham was computer science and, and Joe was, was, you know, the, uh, the lone uh, humanities guy there, uh, political science, uh, undergrad, although he had taken uh, a number of technical classes too. He was, he had been considering symbolic systems as well. The, uh, I should, I should mention around the symbolic systems things too. This is a little bit of an aside, but they're also around then there was a pretty interesting set of, uh, um, you know, people, um, sort of in in symbolic systems throughout the throughout the 90s, you know, some very well known uh, uh, grads, uh, most notably probably Reed Hoffman and uh, Marissa Meyer, are uh, symbolic systems uh, holders of uh, degree holders from Stanford, um, as is uh, Srinijas Srinivasan, who was employee one at uh, at Yahoo. So, just an interesting uh, uh, interesting factoid about. Uh, that major sort of had a uh, you know number of sort of higher than expected uh, I think set of people who wound up doing pretty interesting things in the uh, you know in, in in the tech business after after they left. So actually, clarify that then a bit for me. So it, this is a multidisciplinary degree. That what is what is the main focus then of symbolic systems? Uh, sort of um, you know it's kind of an interesting intersection of I'll call it uh, you know language and information. Um, and, uh, and again, you could, uh, you could look at it as uh, sort of 
computation, you could look at it as uh, sort of being linguistics focused, computer science focused, kind of depending on where you wanted to take it. Uh, probably my best proxy for it um, is there's a, a, a very famous book called uh, Go to Lesher Bach by Douglas Hofstetter. And um, if, if I were to try to describe to somebody the uh, what the symbolic systems major was all about, it was uh, that book. So and, it's, it's uh, you know, is it a little bit semiotics and that sort of thing as well? Yeah, yeah. There's the, there's definitely that. I mean, there's you know mind body philosophy. There's um, you know uh, epistemology. There's you know linguistics um, and you know kind of all all mixed up together, but also looking at it from a um, you know sort of computational and um, mathematical perspective as well. Okay, so then let, let's get back to the dorm. Um, yep. What was it, was there one thing that, like one interest, shared interest, I don't know, you know, uh, ultimate Frisbee or something that that, that uh, tied you, all, all six of you guys together? Um, you know, I mean, part of it was, I think, a, a shared interest in computer science and technology, and certainly also in the intersection of that with um, with language. Um, and so that's, you know, that actually is kind of what led us to deciding to build a search engine in the first place, is it was a, you know, we kind of backed into it in the, what could we work on that's, you know, kind of uh, intellectually interesting to 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 us, and and that's how we came you know came to the idea of building a, a search engine, which was its you know fascinating uh, intersection of you know the disciplines of computer science and you know language information, et cetera. So what what comes first, actually, the idea that we we want to do a business together, or we want to do some project that 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 is a search engine together? Uh, the uh, the first idea actually was let's uh, uh, let's do a business together. Um, it would be you know more interesting uh, than you know going out and getting a real job or you know working for someone else effectively. Um, and is there something interesting we could work on? And we actually um, you know until so we had a couple meals early on at uh, Rosita's Taqueria in Redwood City um you know where we would often go and just started brainstorming uh different ideas and kind of um wound up again I'm sure we had you know dozens of other ones but that's kind of the one we settled on um and this was you know mind you pre uh, pre-web, really, because I, I was going to say, in, you know, that that's this is early '93, probably where we're maybe even '92, where we're having some of these conversations. So, right, it I mean, that's more that's, theoretical. That's that's kind of uh, standard, uh, you know, practice these days. A bunch of college kids get together and let's do a startup. But '92, uh, '93, you guys are kind of ahead of the curve there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, it was it was not. Um, uh, you know, was, it, it kind of wasn't in the air, the whole, you know, startup fever, um, even at Stanford, in the, you know, in the way it is now, obviously. Um, but, you know, we we had attended some uh, or seen some lectures from uh, Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, this, this uh, researcher there named John Pedersen, who was in, into, uh, you know, information retrieval science and whatnot. He had presented this whole thing on um, uh, vector-based searching and clustering related documents that were, you know, uh, you know, together and how to explore a you know, corpus of uh, of documents and whatnot. And we found that really interesting and said, hey, I wonder if we could use some of those, you know, ideas and techniques uh, to build a search engine. It really was sort of a, a, a very naive viewpoint at the time in that let's work on something that's interesting. Um, you know, we looked at the notion of, hey, the structured data, i.e. what a you know, relational database, a SQL database can handle, that feels like it's been quote-unquote solved. Um, but this, the idea that there was going to be this growing presence within companies and elsewhere of digital documents, unstructured, you know, language documents, um, you know, made us think, hmm, there, maybe there's something interesting interesting to do there. And so, you know, when we first got started, I think we, we really imagined that we were going to be more of an enterprise software company, right? The uh, uh, We kind of backed into becoming a web search engine because we needed um, – you know, we needed to test our search engine at progressively larger scales with larger sets of documents. And if you think back to 92, 93, 
there wasn't a lot of places to get big uh, corpus of digital documents. And uh, one of the first things we tested on as we were trying to see how much it would scale was a CD-ROM of a Medline database, which was like abstract for uh, for medical papers. And uh, just to give you an idea of it was relatively difficult to go find, uh, you know, giant collections of, of, of digital natural language documents. And, and the next thing we did was say, hmm, where could we go get a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of text documents? And there was this, uh, you know, this World Wide Web thing. And uh, we thought, hmm, okay, we, that, that seems to have a lot. And believe it or not, we had a discussion at the time of should we write something to go spider the web or to go um, spider the gopher protocol. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if you remember yeah. way back when, right, that was kind of an, another early protocol to, around uh, being able to share documents and information. And, you know, we ch- happily we chose, uh, you know, we, we, ch- we chose the web protocol. Well, so again, the, just to interrupt, uh, just to be clear, because you called it a search engine. And so, you know, people would think now that term means, you know, obviously web search engines. But yep. to clarify, what you're saying is is that you you guys were intrigued with this idea of relational database, basically search technology in general, and the web just presented itself as a way for you to test and prove the technology that you were interested in. Exactly, exactly. So it just happened to be sort of a, a resource that was, uh, you know, a, a good and relatively easy place to go get, you know, because it was growing quickly at the time, even then, right? But, uh, uh, you know, still very, very small, um, you know, relative to where it is today. But it was a, a place where we could go get lots of documents for free, right, to, to test and scale the technology. But, uh, you know, at the time, you probably search engines were really sort of, you know, part of this backwater of computer science that had been around for ages, you know, called information retrieval. And that's, you know, what we were really doing is building an information retrieval system. And in fact, some of the first revenue we had as a company before we had even necessarily decided upon being a, a web search engine was doing um, kind of behind the firewall type stuff for companies like IDG uh, who were, wanted to, and again, this, this sort of puts the era in context, um, they wanted to have uh, their sort of magazine archives from InfoWorld and some of these other magazines uh, accessible to their modem subscribers, right? So they wanted to make a service where people could dial up directly and search the archive of, uh, you know, past issues and whatnot. And so, I mean, it didn't even have a web interface, right? It was something that you'd access all, uh, you know, American Online or CompuServe. Um, and, and so in that case, you know, the software wasn't uh, necessarily being used to, to search the web. It was being used to search a kind of a walled garden mm-hmm. of proprietary uh, data. And that's kind of where we thought, at least initially, you know, some of our, our revenue was going to come from. Well, right. Uh, let's back up for just a second. So you guys, you, you decide we're going we're gonna to do a business. So um, it, what's the initial organization raising of money and prototyping? What, is, what does that look like? So, you know, there's the, there's the six of us and, and, you know, we, we were kind of moonlighting, you know, uh, most of us, I think four of us graduated in 93. And then I think uh, uh, Graham and Martin stayed around another year. Graham finished up his master's degree and, and Martin, I think was, was doing a double major or something. Um, and, and so, you know, during that time period of sort of post-graduation in 93 to, you know, probably until kind of summer of 94, you know, we were all sort of working in various capacities, more, more part-time than full-time. I was, uh, I actually spent a year working at Oracle between right, right. sort of June of 93 and May of 94. I had student loan bills to pay. I needed an income. So I would, you know, put in my minimum, <laughs> call it, uh, you know, 35 to 40 hours a week at, at Oracle and then go work on, um, Know, work on Excite stuff in the off hours, um, where we had set up an office in, in um, Joe and uh, Graham and Ben's Palo Alto garage. Um, and so, you know, during that that one year period, we were all sort of working on just really kind of prototyping software. We, I think, we raised uh, we each raised five or six thousand dollars from our parents. So I mm. think we capitalized the company with, uh, with about thirty grand, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, 
and really that was that was it um and then we kind of bootstrapped for a while we had a you know couple um uh, sort of enterprise software prototype development deals with uh uh, with IDG and, and, and Bob uh, Bob Cringely uh, introduced yeah. those. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So we got and that that was a uh, and so we got hooked up with Bob because of uh, because of Joe actually who was reading his book Accidental Empires and uh, has sort of a how-to manual for doing a startup because you know we were literally you know as green as you could be right um, some of us were still in school some of us were in our first jobs uh, you know didn't really know how to go about it um, as uh, uh, ben Lutch said his favorite phrase was, you know, we were unencumbered by reality, right? Like we, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know that we should be, you know, apprehensive or scared. And we just said, Hey, this, this will be cool. We can, uh, we can do this and see if anything comes of it. And, um, and so Joe, um, was, was reading accidental empires. And I think at the back, you know, he basically, Bob Cringley and his, you know, in the notes in the end said, if you, um, you know, if you have a startup or questions about, you know, how, how the business works here in, in Silicon Valley, give me a call. And so Joe got in touch with him and he, um, um, you know, he, uh, was, was very helpful to us, uh, early on and, and made those introductions to, uh, to IDG. And so on the, on the basis of this project with ID, IDG in a couple of places, this is how you start to gain the notice of, of VCs like yep. uh, Jeff Yang and, and Vinod Kosla. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and actually, interestingly, it was, um, you know, the connection there was, um, I think it was um, one of, uh, it might have been Pat, the, the founder of IDG, was on the advisory board, or one of IDG's board members was also a partner at Charles River Ventures, um, at, at, but in the Boston office, and I think that might have been before they had a a West Coast presence anyway, but, uh, and, and so he, you know, he, I think he met with Joe or Graham and, um, it was intrigued because they had heard, you know, he had heard about what we were doing through the IDG thing, but, you know, kind of didn't know what to do with, you know, six 21 year olds, um, on the opposite side of the country. And so he, I think connected, he either connected us to Vinod or to, uh, or to Jeff Yang. I forget, uh, you know, who it was. It's kind of lost in my, lost in my memory, but that's, I think how we initially got, got connected into the, uh, you know, VC network over in, uh, in, in the West coast and, uh, wound up, uh, you know, wound up having, uh, Vinod and Jeff Yang lead our, lead our seed round, which was sort of a $500,000 convertible note. Um, and then um, after six months, it became, uh, you know, a $3 million uh, Series A. Well, um, and, and also around this time, though, isn't there, like late 94, isn't there like a, a $3 million buyout offer from, from the enterprise software company Verity, right? Yes, yes, and that's um, yeah. I had uh, neglected to mention that. So, yeah, this is probably yeah. This is kind of late '94. I think we closed our um, Series A round from IVP and Kleiner um, in probably in January of '95. Um, so it's late '94. And Verity offers to buy us for three million bucks. And again, this is all the money we've raised at this point is the thirty grand um, from uh, from our our families, right? And you've and only so, been doing this for like a year or so. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, so we, you know, I think I, I think that year between like ninety ninety four. I made, you know, I don't know, six or eight thousand dollars, which doesn't go very far in the Bay Area, even back in, uh, you know, even back in, in in the early '90s. But yeah, we, you know, basically were subsisting on, uh, you know, black beans and rice and uh, and and burritos. So, at, and, at, uh, at, was that a hard thing at that point then to turn down three million dollars for a year's worth of work? Uh, yes, it was. I mean, it was. You know, we we at the time we. You know, the six of us owned 100% of the company. Um, you know, we didn't really have. You know, I mean, our parents more or less just gave us, you know, the money to. Uh, they weren't. I don't think they were expecting, you know, ownership in the, um, in the company. And uh, and we had a very long discussion that night because it was. Um, you know, we had one night where we had gotten the offer from Verity, and it was three million dollars. And it was in Verity stock, and it was pre-IPO stock. Verity did wind up going public uh, that in '95, as they had planned. Um, and we had to decide between taking um, 
the buyout offer from Verity or taking, you know, what was going to be a $3 million investment from, um, you know, Vinod Kosla and Jeff Yang. And uh, we were, you know, we, we ran kind of everything by consensus at the time. And so we were pretty split down the middle at the time. It was sort of, uh, you know, three of us were like, wow, you know, half a million dollars, right? That seemed like all the money in the world, um, particularly to, uh, you know, a bunch of 21-year-olds who had been at it for a year and, uh, you know, had been living on rice and beans. Um, and uh, uh, But ultimately, sort of through the course of the evening, like we had pulled up two couches and were, you know, sitting across from each other just discussing the pros and cons of everything. And, you know, ultimately, uh, uh, you know, we decided what, you know, it'd be far more interesting to uh, continue uh, continue forward and keep trying to build something. And which um, uh, which, I, which side did you fall on? So, so uh, you know, um, I'm I'm sad to say that I was uh, I was on the uh, at least initially on the let's take the buyout offer side of things. Um, you know, which is which is funny looking back now. Um, you know, given you know it was it was so clear that the right choice uh, you know with the, with the benefit of hindsight was to uh, was to keep you know was to keep building and keep going and, you know, double down. Right. And, uh, and that, and again, you know, we did everything by consensus. So, you know, even though we kind of started out, you know, split down the middle, you know, after hashing it through for, you know, a couple hours, uh, we all came around to, yeah, let's, you know, let's do this. Right. We're, we're young, therefore we're risk tolerant. We don't have families to support, you know, when else are we going to have an opportunity like this and, you know, to work with, you know, folks like Vinod and Jeff and, you know, Vinod made a very, um, you know, impassioned sales pitch to us. Really, we, you know, we went over to his house in Portola Valley, um, you know, which is a sort of pretty impressive place. And, you know, we, we sat with him and, you know, he said, look, this is, uh, you know, you want to take the risk here, right? Like this is a, this is an amazing opportunity. I'll, I'll work tirelessly to, you know, uh, you know, help make the company a success and, you know, create an outcome that's, you know, way bigger than, than, than you could ever have by, you know, selling out to, to Verity now. And, you know, that was a, a very uh, a convincing uh, conversation to have as well. I had read that, that he gave you guys three ideas in terms of where the company could go, like continue with like the enterprise software idea, uh, do online classifieds or do a search engine. Is that, is that yep. right? How did, how did, yeah. how did the search engine win? Well, I mean, it was interesting because, you know, it, 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 we actually pursued, uh, you know, the, the idea was to spend the six months on that first bit of the, the seed funding uh, convertible note we had from them, um, you know, really kind of digging in and trying to figure out which one we were going to choose. And we didn't really get very far on the classified thing. Um, but uh, we did sort of pursue the enterprise software piece, and we had developed um, software called Excite for Web Servers that early on got installed on a ton of different, a ton of different sites that basically let you know your users do local searching of the content on, on 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 the site you were hosting, um, and then and then also the, the the web piece, and it was really we kind of did we had projects going on with both of those, um, but the you know the the web piece won out both because i think the sort of just the idea of it um was ultimately more interesting to us um and you know we started uh we started getting to the point you know we launched excite in october of 95 at at internet world which was in boston uh, excite.com that is um and you know we it was already sort of very promising in terms of being able to sell, um, you know, real to, to be able to sell ads and, and, and have, you know, really interesting, uh, really interesting revenue opportunities there. And so that's, uh, you know, it all, it kind of organically, uh, you know, worked out that there was just, uh, uh, you know, we were sure excited for web servers was installed on, you know, a lot of sites, but that was going to be go try to, you know, upsell to charge for, support and maintenance and upgrades um, and, you know, much more of a classic enterprise model, whereas the, uh, you know, sort of the ad-based model just became, uh, you know, really, really compelling. And, you know, we had, and the growth of Excite.com, even from the earliest days, was was really fast. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, media folks from sort of the PV and print world coming in to help, you know, sell ads and, you know, big sponsorships. And all of a sudden we were selling, you know, six and seven figure, um, you know, revenue deals and, 
you know, became pretty clear that that was uh, that was the area with the most uh, with the most potential. So it, it was that web search presented the most obvious uh, revenue model, basically. Yeah, um, e- even though you know the idea of again charging, uh, um, you know, charging to show ads on, uh, on you know on a website obviously was a. Uh, you know, it was a pretty new idea at the time and was experimental. And in some ways, it would have been more conservative to go with an enterprise software model. It was certainly more, um, you know, we had, you know, very, very shortly millions of users and the idea of being able to, you know, sell sort of impression-based ads. I mean, we really were just kind of appropriating the, you know, the print ad and TV ad model of, of selling audience. And, uh, and that uh, just, took off a lot faster and, and and again that's kind of what led to uh led to going down that path well I, i'm very curious about this because so when you enter um when you launch excite.com on the web and so you're entering essentially the search engine space like what is what is the space at this point i'm um you know this is right around the time that that netscape is is doing its ipo um yep. so but yahoo's already been around for a little bit and so like what 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 sort of space does does excite enter yeah so um you know at the time yeah yahoo was around um uh, but yahoo was much more um you know a directory at the time right a hierarchical directory right, as right. opposed to a search engine there was InfoSeek, which had sort of launched around the same time we did, um, which was very similar, um, and then and then there was Lycos, right? And those, you know, those were kind of the sort of early, uh, you know, the, the, those four companies were the early ones um, doing something around either you know web directory or or web search, and uh, and and that. Uh, so you know that's kind of the the market context, right? It's October '95. Yes, the the Netscape IPO. I forget the exact date of that, but it's happening right around then. Um, and you know, it just uh, it was kind of off to the races after that. We wound up going public in April of '96. Um, and again, it was either the week before, or the week after, um, either InfoSeek or Yahoo went public as well. Like you, you know, it's kind of like a a cluster of these uh, search engine IPOs. Um, right, all you know, in the same again, month. Yeah. Yeah, and to put those, you know, to put those in context, I think we raised thirty million dollars. Um, you know, at a I don't know, 250, $300 million valuation, right? So this is, uh, Robertson Stevens was our, was our lead bank, right? So this is, a, you know, almost kind of this pre-bubble era, or, you know, this, you know, the IPOs that are happening now, right, are, you know, usually much bigger, right? You're talking, you know, 500 million, billion dollar, $10 billion market caps, right? And, and, you know, this was a sort of more of a, um, you know, old school IPO model in the in the valley. Even though we were IPOing with you know, with no no profits, we we did have right. Uh, I was going to say, revenues. you know, today uh, companies do tend to IPO after they're a little more mature. And you guys are in this post Netscape era when you know you're you're barely a couple years old, and you couldn't have had more than a couple million dollars of revenue at that point, right? Yeah, well, sort of uh, in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of historical revenue, um, yeah, you know, we, we we didn't you know we had a handful um, handful of million dollars of of revenue, um, you know, the we did have you know quite a uh, uh, quite a large uh, you know revenue ramp um, at the you know at the time, right? We uh, I think in you know '96, I think we did. You know, close to 15 million in revenue, and then you know, close to 50 in '97 and '98, 150. Right? I mean, it was a, it was a, you know, there was real revenue there, which I would contrast between, you know, we were a 90, we were on the very front end of those internet IPOs, right? You know, they got kind of progressively, um, you know, less metrics driven and and more pie in the sky, you know, as as we got towards. Um, you know, later in the 90s, right, where, where companies were going public with even, um, you know, sort of e- e- even even less revenue and even less sort of performance after mm-hmm. the fact. But, uh, um, you know, we in uh, fourth quarter of 98, we actually had a, you know, cash flow positive uh, profitable quarter that was sort of shortly before we merged with at home. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, it was again, it was uh, certainly a, uh, a frenzied time. Well, and also, I mean, you're at the at the beginning of the IPOs because again it's sort of like well what's the first sort of thing that 
can be a business model on the web and it's like, well, help people find things on the web. So yep. was there a sense like you guys are also at the very cusp of this is the wild west. It's a land grab. Let's, we, we don't know where this is going to go. Let's just see where this is going to go. And we need to get all, all of the ammo that we could possibly acquire to, 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 to figure out where we need to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was absolutely, um, you know, a land grab mentality. And it was also, you know, kind of, uh, almost like you're forced into doing it because your competitors were doing it as well. Right. And, uh, you know, well, if, if, if Yahoo and Lycos and InfoSeek are going to public, like we better go public too. Um, otherwise we're not going to have the, have the resources to, uh, uh, to compete. Right. So, uh, you know, that would, that was certainly, you know, kind of, uh, you know, again, the notion that a company that was as young as ours was, uh, could go public obviously was a, you know, a, a change in the, in, in the, in the history of the public markets for, uh, uh, for better or for worse. And it- Back to the market that you're in, because I'm old enough to sort of remember, and and I I mean this with all respect, but there was always a sense that um, maybe Excite was sort of like the Pepsi to Yahoo's Coke. Like, what was what was your thinking in terms of like, were you trying to prove that that algorithmic search could be superior? Like, ultimately, we can see that, that that a human directory could not possibly scale with the web. So. So what are how are you trying to position in this sort of scrum of four or five major search engines and stuff? Yeah, you know that's um, and the, the Pepsi to Coke analogy is 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 one I use all the time actually, and so it's and it's pretty apt, right? Um, you know, Yahoo was always um, you know a couple steps ahead of us. Do you, do you of, have a do you, do you have a thought as to why were they just first? Did they do better at branding or? They yeah they were they were first uh, that was you know and that you know obviously as we as we know that 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 advantage is uh, you know hard to hard to catch up on um, I think that we also you know we very much believed at the time that you know algorithmic search was the path um, and we were you know technologists first who were sort of sort of slowly coming uh, you know <laughs> aware of the fact that. That in fact we were a media company, and I think Yahoo figured that out before we did, uh, to some degree. Um, and, and so you know, and so they were always the uh, you know the one we were like, charging to catch up with. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, InfoSeek and, and and Lycos were in our you know were in our cohort as well. Uh, shortly after we launched, or shortly or just before, I can't remember the timing exactly. Alta Vista had launched um, as well, which I remember was sort of a, a scary moment for us because when we launched Excite.com, our index was a million and a half pages, which you know seems kind of laughable now because mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. you know uh, who knows what what the size of Google's index is. I think they stopped posting it, but it's certainly probably 15 billion pages or more at this point. So, um, you know, we're talking so many orders of magnitude uh, of growth since then. But, you know, and AltaVista, you know, was definitely a more comprehensive search engine. I think they launched with, I don't know, 15 million or maybe even 50 million pages after we had, you know, shortly after we had this, uh, you know, sort of million and a half page index. We believed our sort of relevancy and our search technology was was, was much better. Uh, you know, in 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 search, there's um, you know these notions of, uh, and they're usually sort of uh, opposed to each other. But you know, you can aim for precision or recall, right? Which is every last document that contains um, you know the words you're searching for versus uh, you know a nicely ranked, hyper focused list of uh, you know the ones that actually you know, are exactly what you were searching for, right? right and right. Uh, and so we believed we were better with, uh, you know, with precision and Alta Vista was, was definitely going for, going for recall. But, you know, there was, you know, again, all of these, uh, all of these companies early on were, uh, and, you know, and obviously in the, in the benefit of hindsight and looking at, uh, you know, just the sort of juggernaut that, that Google became, right? I mean, it's that original assumption around being able to find information on the web um, and, and that, you know, that we pursued was, you know, turned out to be, uh, you know, sort of one of the longest, you know, sort of one of the most important pillars to this day of, uh, you know, of, of the web. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. 
Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Right. Well, actually, yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. So, um, you know, initially there's sort of an arms race amongst the big four or five of who's got the biggest index and, and who's got the better results and things like that. But at some point it does evolve into this thing that, you know, they, they call the, the, the portal race where, yep. where essentially, you know, um, excite adds email. My, my wife is excited every time I talk to excite people because that was her first email address, you know, and, uh-huh. and, and yep. calendars and, and horoscopes and all these things. How, what, what caused that strategy to take over? Was it just the search for more, um, uh, inventory to, to sell ads against, or was it, we can be sort of like the, we can be the internet for people. We can be like AOL, uh, but on the web, as opposed to dialing in everything you need where you're one stop shop for the internet. Yeah. And, and it was really, you know, that was a big part of the vision was, you know, we can, again, I mean, the portal, you know, is, is the portal concept is well named, right? This is, this is where you're going to start, you know, every day on the internet. Um, people are searching for things and gee, is isn't search great, but, and it, it has aggregated a large audience for us, but shouldn't we be trying to make them stick around, right? Like that was, that was the notion at the time, right? Which was, okay, let's, we want to have longer session lengths, right? We want to have people have a reason to come back every day or, you know, multiple times a day. And, and the funny thing about search is the better you are at it, the sooner they leave your site. Right. And, uh, and, and so the, now, now of course, uh, you know, Google proved actually that by being really, really good at that um, and, and, you know, they started out obviously being just search at a time, which was very sort of uh, contrarian thinking uh, at the time, because all of the search engines had become Come portals, but we really did it just to sort of grow our audience um, and keep them there once they once they came. And right, and the best ways to do that were things like, you know, putting in your stock portfolio, tracking your news, uh, you know, to having having your email there. Right, and the idea was absolutely, you know, probably the best proxy at the time was was AOL. Right, which is let's uh, let's just amass a you know a giant audience of uh, tens of millions of users, and um, you know, and that'll just increase our ad inventory and our value, uh, uh, you know, as, as we do that. And so that's kind of what led to sort of adding all of these, uh, adding all of these additional features and, and the belief that that was, you know, that was how you would get to know your user base, right. By allowing them to put in their birth date and the topics they were interested in and whatnot, right. You'd get a lot more data about where these users were from. They would right, just because... be kind of anonymous users. We didn't know anything about our users when it was just, uh, right, the, just search. The analytics and the tracking wasn't as evolved as it is today. Yeah. No, no nowhere close. Right. Um, so on a personal level, all of a sudden the, the, the six of you, um, now we're talking 96, 97 into 98. Now you're, this is a, a huge company, and you're at the forefront of you know this this um, economic revolution and this new era of business and things like that. Just on a personal level, what what was that ride like for you personally, and and for all six of you? Well, I mean, it was you know it was it was an incredible time. I mean, it was um, you know first of all we were you know just working around the clock, right? So there there was a there was an element of it that was. Uh, you know, that was exhausting. I, I, you know, broke up with a longtime girlfriend who I, uh, you know, was briefly engaged to. And a lot of that was, you know, 
part of the reason was because I've been working so much and so intensely. Um, but it was, you know, there was an element of the the surreal to it, right? I mean, it was fan- fantastically exciting. It was also, you know, how, you know, how did we find ourselves in this position where all, you know, where, where all of a sudden we're, uh, uh, you know, founders of a of a company that's uh, going public and is, you know, growing to a multi-billion-dollar market cap, and you know, the company grew to thousands of people. And, you know, that was, it was just uh, sort of uh, exhilarating, um, you know, and at times uh, uh, terrifying and intense, right? Um, but, you know, certainly not an experience that I would, you know, trade for anything, right? It was uh, uh, just to be part of, uh, you know, the dawn of this uh, effectively, you know, new media um, paradigm was was amazing. And what, what did your role uh, in the company evolve into? What, what were the projects that you were working on? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, I'd always been a software engineer, um, techie focused, right? Um, when we when we started the company, you know, it was it was clear that you know Joe was gonna was our one business guy, right? And he evolved to be you know senior executive, state uh, board member, you know, was CEO until we brought on George Bell. Graham was our CTO. Uh, Graham Spencer's, you know, one of those um, just singularly talented, uh, you know intellects and um software engineers right there's this notion in in uh in 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 the world of uh, of software and engineering right of of a wizard principle where there's you know these guys who are you know 10x 50x 100x more productive than um you know, sort of the average or even the really good engineer. And Graham's one of those people, and he was our, and, and we recognized this early on, right? He was our CTO and really kind of defined the uh, uh, the technology vision. So I'd worked, you know, f- uh, you know, f- in the early days on on the search engine itself, and then on our Excite for Web Servers product, and then as part uh, worked on, we bought a company early on. Timing-wise, maybe '97 called Throw, which was sort of an early shot at being a, a communities platform, or sort of a almost like e-groups and you know mm-hmm. um, maybe shades of you know early Facebook even um, helped sort of integrate that team into the Excite infrastructure. I, I worked on our internal tools group a lot, so like the the you know the platform that because we did have a directory team at the time too, who was you know manually categorizing stuff and, and whatnot. Um, a la Yahoo, uh, worked on some of the tools for that, worked on uh, our, some of our Excite shopping, commerce platform tools, uh, briefly worked on some of the email stuff. So, you know, really kind of just, uh, you know, a whole variety of uh, different projects as we expanded beyond, uh, you know, simply being a search engine into uh, into being a portal. Yeah, that's sort of a, a crazy education into, into all sorts of things there. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, because at the time in particular, there was no, you know, off-the-shelf internet infrastructure software. There wasn't a, you know, host of open source projects to, you know, solve a lot of these things. We had to, you know, roll our own for a lot of things, whether it was, uh, you know, server-side scripting language, application servers, things like that. And uh, and so, you know, it, it's interesting when we think of all the things we built internally, whether it was content management systems or, um, you know, put different publishing tools, right? It was like any one of these things, that we built for ourselves because we had to at the time, you know, could have been if somebody had been, you know, thinking hard about it and obviously things were moving too fast to do it, uh, you know, we could have spun out a bunch of these ideas to, you know, to become, you know, things that were very successful kind of software and infrastructure projects and companies over time, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's in the content management space or, uh, you know, application server space, that kind of thing, right? These were all, uh, all, all problems that we had to, you know, uh, grow our own to solve. So I'm I'm curious about the the at home merger, and I don't know you know how privy you were to to these sorts of decisions and things like that. But it, it's curious to me that the Excite and at home merger happened in '98. I mean that's still relatively early on in terms of the complete madness of of you know the the bubble era. Um, right. What what was what was the motivation behind that merger? Yeah, so so you know at, at this point you know I, I was I was not on the board of of the company um, and so you know was l- sort of less privy um, to this the negotiations that were going on but the, I mean the vision was was really at the time and and again both companies had been public for for some time right um, so you know we were both public companies when we uh, when we merged which uh, I think the transaction was you know announced in um, sometime in in, in ninety eight and then you know, actually closed in, 
guess probably early, uh, you know, early '99, uh, if I'm getting my timing right. Um, but um, yeah, you January, know, it was really, January. yeah, you know, it was really uh, the, you know, the the basic, you know, thirty thousand foot vision was okay. We have uh, at home dominating uh, broadband access, or at least the potential to do so. Uh, you know, with all the uh, cable company relationships it had um, for you know to do uh, broadband over cable. You know, past had a potential to reach something like 65 million subscribers. You know, in, in today's era, with you know audiences in the, you know, billion plus users on Facebook, et cetera, right? 65 million doesn't sound like a lot, but that was, you know, a pretty uh, high percentage of people who were online in the U.S. at the time. Um, so you had really, uh, the vision was you put Excite and At Home together, and you have a broadband era uh, AOL. Right. I mean, that was that that was sort of the core of the vision, which was, uh, you know, if if you know, at the time, uh, particularly sort of that 98, 99 time frame, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, belief that, you know, one of AOL's challenges was was that they had this, you know, huge subscriber base of dial up uh, subscribers and they didn't, you know, if they didn't have a, a great story for how they were going to make that transition into into the broadband era, whether it's via you know, DSL or, or cable or whatever. And so, you know, the idea was put uh, Excite and ho- at home together and you could potentially kind of leapfrog them and, uh, you know, have more broadband subscribers, uh, you know, than they did from, from day one. Right. I, I spoke to George ab- about that extensively and his frustrations with eventually dealing with the with the uh, cable companies and the uh, broadband providers eventually. Um, you uh, you leave Excite in, in 1999, uh, towards the end of 99, or what, what's the time period? Yeah, it was the end of 99, I, you know, this, I, December 31st, 99, or, you know, really basically through the, through the very end of the year, but it was, you know, about a year after the merger had been, uh, you know, announced um, and or, or closed. And, um, you know, it was a... Uh, so you know, I'd been at it for six, seven years. The uh, uh, you know the company had just grown, you know, like uh, you know it was up to I think about three thousand people when you look at the at, at the combined company. And you know, I had sort of come to the realization that I was a um, early stage guy, right? I liked uh, I liked liked working on things in uh, in the nascent uh, phase. And you know, by the time end of 99 rolled around, um, you know, the company was, 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 was anything but a startup. Um, I, I remember very clearly I had a moment, um, when I sort of realized that it was going to be, uh, going to be time for me to move on. And some of it was, I, you know, gotten involved on the advisory board of a couple companies and made a small number of, uh, you know, angel investments. And that was sort of enticing to me. But the other piece of it was in the year that I spent working at Oracle in, in 93 to 94, during that time, Oracle opened up a big new corporate cafeteria that was run by Bon Appetit Catering, and it was this you know kind of marketplace concept where you'd you'd go and there was the you know pasta bar and the Asian food walk area and the salad area and the burger area and you know you'd kind of walk around and choose your food and it was you know it was good food it was you know this really neat open space and. I remember, you know, I'd go to lunch there when when the, the cafeteria opened at Oracle, and you know, see a sea of faces, right, thousands of employees there, um, and you know, only recognizing very few. And after we merged with At Home and moved into those new offices on Broadway, um, At Home opened, Excited Home opened a large cafeteria in the marketplace model run by Bon Appetit Catering, <laughs> and I walked into it, you know, like one of the first days it was open, and it brought me right back to Oracle, hmm. right? You know, it, it was, uh, you know, a sea of faces who very few of whom I, I knew anymore. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I was like, okay, this is a big company. And uh, that I just remember that being a very uh, poignant moment uh, for me when, when it was like, okay, now, now I need to figure out uh, uh, what I'm going to do next. Well, and, and based on your CV that you spent uh, basically – the the next decade in in, in VC stuff. You, you yep. went to Mobius first, right? Yes, correct. And uh, you know, wound up connected with uh, with the Mobius folks sort of randomly. With uh, my wife was uh, getting her MBA at Stanford at the time, and I was at some you know uh, business school event and sat next to a guy who was uh, uh, named Pete Hartigan, who had been uh, had been working at Mobius for a while as a as an associate, um, and he. 
he and I hit it off and, you know, he said, Hey, you should just come by, uh, come by the offices one day. And this is probably late, uh, late 99. Um, and, you know, I met uh, Heidi Roizen and Brad Feld and some of the folks there, um, really hit it off with Brad. Um, and then, you know, they sort of invited me to come, uh, come spend some more time there. And so starting in, in early 2000, I, uh, um, you know, started showing up at the, at the Mobius offices. And I, you know, I think I thought I would, uh, uh, hang out there for a few months, maybe a year, uh, figure out another company to join or start. Um, and then, you know, the next thing I knew I was, uh, uh, a venture capitalist and leading, uh, <laughs> leading investments and, uh, uh, and, you know, again, sort of almost unintentionally backed into, uh, being a VC, but found, found that I really enjoyed it. And, and then when we had the opportunity sort of as, uh, as Mobius was transitioning, um, you know, to the end of its fund life in, uh, for its new investments anyway, in, in 2005, uh, the, um, you know, my four partner, my three partners, um, at, uh, at Foundry Group now, we were all at, uh, we were all at Mobius together and it's Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson and, uh, Cecil Vine. And, uh, we, we were the guys within Mobius and Mobius was a, you know, big, you know, big fund, right? The fund I joined fund six was a billion and a quarter dollar fund and mm-hmm. invested across stages and across sectors. But, you know, the four of us were, were the folks within Mobius who had done, um, you know, the real sort of early stage stuff. And we wanted to continue doing that. And, and hence we decided, uh, you know, in 2006 to, um, uh, to launch Foundry Group. And, and that's kind of what led to, uh, that's kind of what led to, to, to Foundry Group and, and getting that, that going. And our, we launched our first fund, closed our first fund in, in the fall of, uh, of 2007. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to wrap things up, I, I have two possibly unfair uh, but definitely macro questions. Um, sure. And and the first one would be because Excite was started out as a, a technology company, as a an algorithm based search engine. With the benefit of hindsight, do you think that there could have been a place for a strong competitor to Google today? You know, it's uh, it, it's a question uh, that I think is really hard to answer, and certainly one that I have uh, asked myself many times. And I, and I have a feeling, and I've certainly discussed it with you know early folks at Excite, co-founders, etc. Right, which is the um, you know why weren't we Google? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, which which is the question you naturally ask yourself. And I have a feeling that you know people at Infoseek and Lycos and Alta Vista, you know, ask ask that same question as well. And so. Uh, you know, could there have been a strong competitor? You know, could there have been uh, less of a lopsided market share in terms of, uh, you know, search revenue um, over time? I, I don't know. It's hard to say, right? Google was, um, you know, sort of a, a perfect storm in many ways in terms of they, they built a, you know, a fundamentally better search technology. There's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt that they, you know, they built a, a better mousetrap, right? But the, um, you know, they they also again by being sort of contrarian early on, they decided they were going to be pure play search in the early days. Of course, Google now has since grown and it has, you know, email and YouTube and you know uh, Google Apps, etc. But, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of their most profitable core business still is um, still is search advertising. I think the, the, the interesting thing is, is that sort of the opportunity that, that the Google was able to capitalize on was, you know, was interesting. They were, you know, they have what I, I like to describe as late mover advantage, right? It was, it was actually beneficial for them to enter the market later. You know, I mean, I remember myself thinking when, when I read about when Google came along, does the world really need another search engine? And then when Kleiner and Sequoia invested in it, you know, thinking, wow, you know, what, what, what are they seeing here that, um, you know, cause I don't get it. Uh, does it, does the world need another search engine? And, um, you know, when you think about, they built a better tech, but at the same time, uh, what, what they did is they, this advantage of being, being a late mover, you know, they raised this large round, $25 million, you know, the sort of the, the bubble burst, uh, which helped them, I think, in the sense that, that it, you know, they put their round together sort of shortly before that happened. So they were kind of well, well funded, able to, you know, hire kind of the best and the brightest uh, who were you know, coming out of other failed startups. 
they had the advantage of starting on Linux, one of the things we always regretted, and it just made things a lot uh, cheaper for them over time. One of the things we regretted early on is we, we you know, we built Excite on Sun and uh, and Solaris and constantly reevaluated over time should we convert to Linux, but um, you know we just had too much sort of invested in in that in that infrastructure. Um, by starting from day one, Google uh, with you know with a very distributed systems and scalability oriented approach, starting on Linux and adopting Intel hardware. You know, they were just in a much better position even just a few years later in terms of the cost of operating their service was, uh, uh, you know, dramatically lower than ours. And then finally, you know, the fact that they sort of said they stayed on that search-only focus for a while and then, and then you know, hit upon, you know, and some folks might argue appropriated, you know, the sort of uh, cost-per-click model from, from Overture. Right. But, you know, it was that sort of magic combination of putting that together, which is just saying – you know, we we were sort of seduced, excited, all of the early portals by just the old school kind of display ad model, right? And there was almost, you know, given how what our revenue ramp was, you know, we weren't uh, we weren't searching for you know a better a better revenue model, right? And uh, and uh, again, Google having had kind of the uh, the, the benefit of timing um, and staying focused on search and having lower costs and then sort of, um, you know, implementing this uh, cost per click model at just the right time when they needed to establish a revenue model. It's like you put all of those things together um, and it was, you know, just became this kind of once in a generation type uh, company and opportunity. And then of course, they executed on it magnificently, right? Which is, uh, uh, you know, again, it's uh, all, all of the timing is not to uh, downplay, um, you know, their much deserved success, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I think in any sort of uh, a juggernaut, you know, the scale of a Google, right? You need, you need a combination of, you know, both, uh, you know, incredible talent, incredible execution, and, you know, a, a healthy dose of uh, luck and timing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, then my final question is, um, the Foundry Group is, is based out of Colorado, um, yep. and it, it, I, I'm thinking of, like, you know, uh, Steve Case is doing his Rise of the Rest tour and things like that, and I, I, I don't want to phrase it like, uh, why aren't you in Silicon Valley so much as, um, is there value to being in other places, and, and I'm sure you would invest in any good idea that you found, no matter where it was, but... Yep. What, being outside of Silicon Valley, what are the pros and the cons, and what can you find there that that might be different? Yeah, well, when we started Foundry Group, you know, the, again, we were we were focused on being a small fund, four partners. You know, each fund is two hundred twenty-five million dollars. We have four of them active now, uh, four active funds, and you know, it was. Even even in uh, in Mobius, uh, you know Brad Feld, my partner, you know, was based out here in Boulder from from day one, invested nationally, and so you know we started with this approach that we were going to invest uh, across the country, and our and our vision was we'd probably do about a third of our investments in the Valley, a third in sort of the Colorado, Greater Rocky Mountain area, um, and a third uh, everywhere else in North America, which you know really concentrates itself in, you know, uh, New York, Boston, Seattle, Austin, you know, kind of the other, uh, you know, sort of tier two non, non-Silicon Valley markets uh, that you would, that you would talk about. Um, and, and, you know, to us, uh, the opportunity and sort of the ethos and the sort of DNA and learnings from, from Silicon Valley, you know, meant that there was opportunity um, outside of the Valley as well, right? And, and so, and, and we also believed, you know, having, um, you know, my partner Jason lived in, in the Bay Area for 10 years. I lived there for 17 years. Uh, you know, it's one time zone away, easy to, easy to hop over there, that we would still have access to, uh, you know, two interesting investments and opportunities um, in the Valley because of our networks, right? And, and that, that's, that's proven to be true. And, and, uh, uh, but there's also, you know, lots of opportunities outside of, uh, outside of Silicon Valley. And, you know, so we have about, you know, two-thirds of our fund outside of the Valley. Would you, would you say? Would you say there are more opportunities than there were, say, 10 or 20 years ago? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, uh, that's certainly, um, you know, growing. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it, 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 it's a negative metaphor to use, but I think that the, um, you know, the, the sort of valley 
um, ecosystem and DNA and way of approaching building businesses in the tech industry that you know was pioneered and and you know still happens at the greatest scale um, in Silicon Valley. That all of that sort of you know metastasized, if you will, to other uh, uh, to other uh, other geographies, right? And and we were very much taking a um, you know taking taking an approach of you know, believing very strongly that we can take a lot of the lessons and then the unique attributes of uh, different geographies and, and, you know, really help, um, you know, build a, build a community um, and a startup ecosystem in, in Boulder and Denver um, and beyond. And that that was going on in other places as well. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that, uh, you know, that, that has indeed happened. Uh, and it's exciting to, you know, have been a part of, um, you know, tech stars from the very early days, seeing, seeing that grow, um, um, you know, that's really helped bring a lot of energy and young talent into the ecosystem here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's only going to only going to continue to to happen. Well, uh, Ryan McIntyre, thank you so much for remembering all that for us. It was uh, it was fascinating conversation. Ah, well, uh, my pleasure. It's fun to uh, take a take a trip down memory lane. Uh, you know, it's now long enough ago. Uh, you know, almost <laughs> more more than twenty years ago, where we first started talking about Excite. So some of it is uh, you know fuzzy in the lost uh, recesses of my memory. But it's great to uh, great to sort of talk through it and uh, you know think about those exciting times again. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at nethistorypod. And my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening.